we're talking about what God had intended, okay? So these are, uh, sorry, I'm really not gifted with PowerPoint, but I thought these would be some helpful categories as we're kind of working through this material, um, thinking through, yeah, so men um, reflect God's image in their strength, um, and not that women are not strong, um, but men uniquely, physiologically, often tend to be more be stronger and able to toil the ground um, we'll see when we get to the fall part, the way women experience pain is in relationship and in childbirth and things like that. So therefore, the way we reflect his image is, yes, <coughs> nurturing, loving, being more tender. And the way a man reflects God's image uniquely is, is his strength and his ability to move and engage in a way that um, women weren't intended to reflect his image necessarily. Yeah. So while we're complimentary, uh, the, this is the essential thing that we've been talking about is that we're united in our likeness, in our equality. Um, we're also united in relationship. In Genesis 2:23, we read of this incredible unity. It says, the man said, this is now being presented with the woman. Um, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And let me just highlight something from that real quick. This is one of my favorite things about Hebrew um, which is very few things I actually know about Hebrew. So I like to really flex this particular Hebrew muscle. <laughs> that woman, the, just the word woman, is taken from man. And so as the rib was fashioned, uh, fashions the woman, taken from the man, and then she, the woman is presented back to the man, and they're engrafted back together, um, Adam calls her woman. And in Hebrew, that's ish and isha. And so it's this beautiful sort of way that even the names reflect unity. Distinct, woman versus man, but so, so similar. So, um, for she was taken out of the man. That's the rib thing. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. We could spend the whole conference on this. We're going to try not to. Um, but there's something here in verse 24 that's really important. Um, for this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Um, her identity changed when she married me. We t she took my last name. Um, she no longer was under the headship of her father. She was under my headship. Isn't that a powerful thing to think about? that the physical aspect here of becoming one flesh is this engrafting, um, not just physically, but the, the, the mind, the soul, the body, the emotional, and yet also her very identity is taken after my name, mm -hmm. my identity. I remember when we got married, our pastor that married us, Lynn Teague, um, he said we were kind of going through the service and working <coughs> through, you know, what, different pieces of the puzzle looked like and he said okay so then your dad will do this and he he spent like 15 minutes explaining to me the way in which he wanted my dad to hand me over to Luke and the significance of that physical posture of passing you know blessing me and then passing me on and then stepping back and that being exaggerated and I, I remember being like Lynn I get it like I've been to, I've been to weddings you know, that makes sense. And he said, this is truly theological, Megan. This is a really big deal. And, yeah, 22-year-old me was kind of like, okay. But 
I think <coughs> more and more now, um, and and I think part of this too, as it was supposed to be, that is painful now, this side of the fall, that is hard. Um, I loved my last name. I was an athlete. Being an Owens came with a healthy pride of, I loved carrying my father's name. I'm very proud of who my dad is. I'm proud to be a part of, have been raised by him. And yet changing my name was a, was a weird challenge. And I was young when I got married. So I think there's something significant to that that is Mm -hmm. really powerful. And I'll I'll never forget how Lynn really hammered that, like even just physical posture of how that was going to play out in the wedding of how this, this really is reflecting the scripture. And that's really important. Yeah. And just how humbling that is for me to sit here now thinking about you taking my identity, Mm -hmm. uh, and how unworthy I was and certainly still am for, for you to be kind of engrafted into who I am to carry my, wow, (laughs) it's just, that's heavy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and I certainly did not capture the weightiness of that then. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody captures the weightiness of what is being communicated at the wedding. <laughs> you know, you got other things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but also uh, in in verse <coughs> twenty five, when we when he said the man and his woman were both naked and they felt um, no shame. <coughs> yes, there is a piece of that with naked with actual nakedness, the exposure <laughs> without clothes. But so much of that also means um, just going back to our working definition of intimacy I find I kind of forget when I work with couples as a counselor that when I use the word intimacy they automatically think I mean sex and that's not yes that can be a part of intimacy but oh it is so much more and so to they were both naked meaning they were both completely exposed for who they were in their fullness and felt no shame I even tear up sometimes when I look at that verse because (coughs) I really I'm not sure I even we, we really can't fully experience that. We never have, um, no matter how beautiful and wonderful your marriage is, and I hope that you've had glimpses and tastes of that. I have, but uh, um, it, to really look at that as a wife standing naked, not only physically, but emotionally, holistically, looking at the whole person of who God created women and men and to feel no shame, that's, that's almost incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's kind of we're highlighting the, the unity of the flesh, the unity in relationship. But um, that is what we're longing for when we're missing so many of these pieces um, relationally. Yeah, and I think that's really one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it, and really it works as a bookend of sorts. You got Genesis, one end of the book. Um, being naked and having no shame. And then you have the kingdom glory, um, Revelation 21, 22, beautiful pictures of how God takes us from how we were created and not only restores it, um, but actually improves it. Um, it's just amazing. And so it, it, what does is, what is shame really look like um, in marriage? I mean, just let's throw out a couple ideas. How, how can shame... Um, come about in marriage? Let's back up a little bit. What is a working, let's kind of come up with maybe a working definition of shame. Good idea. Well, can I just answer that? Sure. Okay. Um, So, guilt and shame are good ways of distinguishing this concept, I think, because guilt says, I have done wrong. Shame says, I am wrong, or guilt says, 
I, am, I have done bad. Shame says I am bad. It's a statement of identity. Mm-hmm. So it's much more pervasive to your heart. It's not just sin. It's, a, it's, it's being broken, like in your core. Um, and so when we live out of shame, um, well, it's, it's, it's tragic. It's tragic to God's image. Um, and so the idea of being naked and having no shame is this incredible picture of unity. And uh, one of my favorite uh, biblical exegetes, Leslie Lackey, she'll tell you that intimacy, uh, the way she thinks of it is, the, say it like this, into me see, looking into me, into the very heart and core of who you are. And I think there's something really beautiful and simple about that that just highlights what what this kind of looks like in marriage is that you would actually welcome someone to see into you mm-hmm. as opposed to just seeing, you know, the other things that you present, but welcoming something deeper. Mm-hmm. So this is a picture of complete vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're also united in purpose in our marriage. So we've seen that we're united in how we're like, or equal, we're united in our relationship, we're made one flesh, um, and we're also united in our purpose. We see in Genesis one twenty-eight that we're a team. We have the same mission. This is the cultural mandate. It says, God blessed them, man and woman, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we're called to rule and subdue and be fruitful and multiply. And this is a really big deal that we have a task. We're given a task to have dominion and to be co-creators with the Lord as we move forward, you know, in this garden picture. Even before the fall, there's still some work that Adam is supposed to do. Work is not a bad thing. Work is a good thing. And Isaiah 65 paints a a really neat picture of this. But um, we're called to the task of having dominion. We're called to the task of being fruitful and multiplying. And so that in itself is a picture of unity because we're a team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's um, something to point out as well is that Eve was with Adam when he was being given this charge or this calling. It wasn't a separation of... Uh, you know, I'm going to tell the man and then he'll tell you. There was, you know, and I, I'm saying this because I think so much, and even my own, I think we all struggle with figuring out that, that whole word submission and it being a hard word and all these things. Yes, it is a hard word culturally, but that's not what God intended for it. And so he gave them a call together with unity and purpose. But I think that also, again, shows the value to both genders, to male and female. Y'all are supposed to do this together. This isn't his deal, and then you just kind of stay back and do your thing and, like, be nice. Uh, it's, no, you're in this together. This is a journey together. This is a battle together. Um, and I, I think that, that again, <coughs> kind of highlights the significance, again, of, um, of both genders, but in particular wanting to kind of fight against that misunderstood notion of the role of, of the gender for female, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about 21st century America. Uh, we don't have a lot of shared mission as, as families, I don't think. Um, you know, we could have different careers. 
but how many times do you really come together for a common task besides like painting the living room? Um, if you have a kid that, that ups the ante a little bit, you kind of need to come together on that one. That's a big one. Um, getting your 401k to a good place, that's a big one, right? That's one of the things we value, but like what are we really sharing our vision for? What's our teamwork really look like in our marriage? I think that's probably something that gets lost in translation. Mm -hmm. a, a mentor of mine um, on Lookout Mountain, <coughs> she used to say that her and her husband um, would every year, they'd, they had six kids, and they would sit and kind of think educationally what they were going to do with each kid, but they would take a day's retreat and come up with a vision statement for the year for their family. And sh they would have it made like a, you know, uh, one of those type Hobby Lobby looking you know, uh, things that you hang on the wall, and that was put, like, in their kitchen, and then they changed it out every year, and sometimes it was similar, but sometimes it was uniquely different to the life stage that they're in when um, I had the privilege of walking life with um, with her more intimately. Uh, her youngest was still potty training, they, they, and their oldest had just started middle school, I think, and now uh, Cannon, I, I think, is, yeah, was starting at Macaulay. So, he, yeah, he's, you know, significantly older. They're in a whole different stage. So their, their family vision, their family unity, it, it looks a little bit differently. Um, and so I think that was just a really kind of a side note of a unique practice done by um, Marshall and Kim Brock that uh, really did life well together as they were kind of mm -hmm. journeying, um, especially through... I think those harder years of uh, parenting with six kids. <laughs> we should do that. I like that. So then um, we're created with this incredible unity in all facets. Every facet of the relationship is for unity. And, and yet um, it's all marred. It's all destroyed. Um, and what we see is that the serpent, the crafty one, he approaches Eve, and he causes her to doubt God's goodness. He says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of this one tree, or touch it, lest you die. And so the serpent says, you will not surely die. And he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And there's actually truth in that. You, you catch that? There's, like, this isn't like a bold-faced lie. This is deception. There's, there's truth embedded in that. Um, but ultimately what happens is she, she doubts God's goodness. And that, that just starts a myriad of um, chain reactions. Mm -hmm. I think a theme that I see is that Eve starts to question. Um, and I think if we're honest as women, that so we're, we're kind of marred images. We're, we're getting into the fall here. We've left, you know, pre-fall talking about the, what God had intended. We're getting into the, the unfortunate stuff that we're facing right now. So thinking through that, one of the ways that women, um, I think, live out the fall, one of the ways I live out the fall, um, is that I question my leadership. I question my head. I question I question all authority, um, and I think some women live that out. We live that out uniquely differently. We're going to get to that, um, but I think as we start to question, not in a curious way of wanting to understand, wanting to be a part, wanting to support, but in a true, she's questioning, what is God withholding from me? If this is true, if, 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 I, if I could know as God knows and I could understand as God 
God's withholding from me. He's not giving me his best. And I think if we're honest, as we live out in marriage, we're often saying, I will often feel or say, not necessarily directly, but do you have my best interest at heart? Is my, am I being led well? Am I safe? Is this really the way it should be, or, or are, you, are you withholding from me? And I start to get a questioning and critical spirit and then go to control. And so, again, kind of thinking about the theme of um, the Eve's questioning. She's starting to question. And I, I don't want to make it sound like I think asking questions is wrong. I think um, bold curiosity is marriage is so healthy. Um, bold curiosity of, hey, what's going on? What's different? What do we need to do? How do you experience me? Women, if you're not doing that, you're failing your husband. You have got to be bold um, in the way that you are curious about how your family, how your spouse is living out life. But there's a difference between being curious and a difference between asking questions of intention in a way that is assuming that you are being um, misled. Mm -hmm. So as a result, they deny their God-given callings as man and woman. Uh, we see that in how this plays out in ver uh, chapter 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and I bet it was. I bet it, I bet it was really some good-looking fruit. <laughs> and also desirable for gaining wisdom. That sounds like a good idea. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, who was with her, and he ate it. Adam was there with her. And, and this is something that highlights his failure in his calling. He did not protect his wife. The serpent is whispering to his wife, deceiving his wife. The fact that he have even let the serpent into the garden, into the, the temple, into the place that he's supposed to steward and protect, he's failed. Um, but he allows this, this serpent to whisper to his wife, and um, he really failed in his calling from the very beginning. Um, but yet Eve also broke the unity um, by acting outside of the relationship context or acting outside of her God-given calling that she would follow. So she actually takes the step of control. She takes the step to take the, the fruit of the tree mm -hmm. and to eat it and to give it to her husband. So she did not follow her husband, although he was with her and sort of being very passive in that. She broke rank the same way that he abdicated his responsibility. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. It's okay if you don't, but mm -hmm. do you see that? <clears throat> As Adam kind of didn't protect his wife in that, and he didn't protect the garden, as he was kind of made priest of the garden, if you will, there's a sense that the irony of, as we're, and I know we're jumping ahead, but when we talk a little bit about the impacts of the fall, one of them is relational discord, and yet the irony of Eve breaking that. She's, we crave relationship. We crave to be known. We crave to be one. We crave to not be alone. I mean, why do, like, 12, 12-year-old 12 girls go, like, six at a time to the bathroom? I mean, I think that's, in some ways, a beautiful picture of just un of desire for relationship, desire for connection, mm -hmm. and um, it, it's reflected early on. And so then we want this. We want this safety of unity. We want to be with our partner, and yet we decided to step out. Um, mm -hmm. and, and like you said, Adam, being the leader, being in charge, he, he was passive. He did not protect um, 
he was absent and he was silent and uh, essentially hid from any type of responsibility there. Yeah, and so what you see here really is the nature of their sin actually parallels um, the curse that they will live under after the fall. You see control in the woman, and you see avoidance in the man. You see control in the woman, avoidance in the man. And ultimately it leads to this incredible role reversal where the lines of authority are reversed, where it should be God, man, or let's do it like this. God is in control, then man, then woman, and then the serpent. But what happens is it becomes the serpent's in control, then the woman, then the man, and then God is chiefly neglected above all. So it's an incredible role reversal. Y'all see how that makes sense? So all of this means that they are neglecting their responsibility, ultimately. <coughs> um, we read on the passage, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. He said, Where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? How did you even know? That's a statement of shame. How did you even know that you were naked? That was something beautiful I gave you, innocent and pure, and you've corrupted it. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? I love this. Adam says, the woman, blame, you put here with me, now he's blaming God, she, blames her again, gave me some fruit of the tree, ah, of course I ate it, you know. why wouldn't I, you know, I set up. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. In counseling couples, this is kind of what happens about 99% of the time, is they're both kind of looking at each other saying, I, you know, well, it's, it's, it's her, it's him. It's, um, it's not really my fault that our marriage is falling apart. It's, so no one really seems to take their own sin as the biggest problem in the marriage. Um, and so we learn through our, our fallen nature, we, we basically neglect our responsibility and we, um, we see this over and over in our own hearts, in our own lives, um, but you, you notice in this passage that God calls the man to account for himself, not the woman. And that's because he's, he's the, the leader. He's called to have headship. He's called to be the one with ultimate responsibility. And yet, how, how easy it is for us to want to abdicate our responsibility as men to ask our wives to shoulder some of that burden because we don't really want to be, you know, where the the buck stops. We don't really want to be ultimately responsible because, you know what, we're going to fail. Mm-hmm. We do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a pretty big shoulder or bar- burden to shoulder. Um, so it's a complete shifting of responsibility in how Adam blamed God and Eve, and then Eve, she blames the serpent. So everyone's guilty of the same thing, mm-hmm. but ultimately Adam shows his... Uh, himself a little bit more than even that. Mm-hmm. I think there's something <coughs> this 
my dad has instilled this in me, and I used to hate hearing it because I would, I would be feeling hurt by something, and he and I, he, I think I know he was trying to help me grow, and he really did. But um, he always said, "You're 100% responsible for your five or 10%, even though the other person is 90% wrong." I think he actually probably said it in Sunday school. He, he says it all the time. Yeah, I remember that. And um, that's so true. Um, and we're not, I'm not, we're not trying to divide a percentage here. Um, that's not going to be helpful. Um, and in counseling, it's not helpful. I've tried it. Uh, it's not a great method of care. Um, but I think there's something with uh, not looking at the percentages. But if we are foolish enough to say that it's a 100% one-person problem, um, I mean, we're like, that's just against scripture. And yeah. um, the irony of how that how it plays out so the man is passive and so either women tend to lean towards a sense of control so they either over so my husband's failing and leading our family so therefore I'm going to overcompensate and I'm going to take care of this I'm going to initiate the spiritual aspect of our life I'm going to initiate all these things I'm going to do all the things because he's not doing it um, not letting him feel the weight of his failure, covering for him, not inviting him to grow, not calling him to more, but just covering it up. Um, or um, she will become a, a mouse of a woman and shrill into a shell and not represent herself and not represent her longing. And therefore, um, we got a big mess um, on both ends. And so the way in which the control was taken by Eve as well is 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 significant. Um, mm-hmm. The the power of Adam and the blame really went both ways. So we're at 647. Why don't we just take a break there before we start our next little bullet point. Okay. And we'll see you here in... A little bit before 7. 7-ish. Seven. <coughs>